Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. I don't, I don't know if it's appropriate or inappropriate, but I'm going to begin today with a, with a personal note. There's a bird in my studio, and so I'm going to do my best to ignore him or her as, uh, as they fly about um, periodically from time to time. <clears throat> That's, that is really, yes, this is the evidence of what's on top of mind right now. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Hearings are uh, expected to start today. I mean, I say they're scheduled. They're supposed to happen. We anticipate they're going to happen in... The Senate's confirmation process of Judge Amy Coney Barrett. I'm going to talk more about that at the opening of Hour 2. Right now, I want to do a little bit of a coronavirus uh, roundup before we bring on Dr. Zach Jenkins. But as always, I want to ask you maybe the most important question of the morning thus far. Where in the word are you today? The where in the world question you're going to be able to answer um, based on, you know, time and place, location, all those, whatever your calendar says you're up to on this Monday morning. But the where in the word conversation is a more important starting point. Because as you walk out there into the world that God so loves, uh, it's imperative that you be full of grace and truth. And in order to do that, we we got to be full of the Word of God. So let me encourage you to be in the Word today. I am in Romans chapter 8. I am also in the various and sundry uh, places where the Romans 8 passage then takes me. So I encourage you to be in the Word of God today intentionally. All right, quick uh, coronavirus, coronavirus roundup. Um, popping in my little news feed this morning was a note that the World Health Organization has announced on Sunday that it no longer recommends economic lockdowns to fight the coronavirus. Uh, That effectively reverses the World Health Organization's position, which back in July um, warned that countries would uh, need to be returning to full lockdown if they came out of lockdown too early, recommended lockdowns to stall a second wave of COVID-19, Um, At the time, CBS News reported that uh, the World Health Organization was cautioning countries to only come out of lockdown measures very slowly or not at all, to, in fact, to remain in them. Well, now the World Health Organization is saying, look, um, it's time to, quote, stop using lockdowns as your primary control method. Uh, Quote, we in the World Health Organization do not advocate lockdowns as the primary means of control for the virus. This is uh, Dr. David Nabarro. He is the group's envoy, and he told world health leaders uh, via the media on Sunday, quote, the only time we believe a lockdown is justified is to buy you time to reorganize, regroup, rebalance your resources, protect your health care workers. Um, but by and large, we'd rather not do it. Now, why is that? Because it is it is having an economic toll that is creating waves of other problems, particularly for the poorest people in the world. And so the World Health Organization recognizes that poverty and the uh, attendant issues of poverty, like uh, starvation, 
access to uh, nutritious food and clean water, um, on and on and on. The World Health Organization recognizes that economic lockdowns around the globe are actually a greater threat to the world's poorest people than is the coronavirus at this point uh, in terms of its effect on all of us. So I lift that up to you because I think it's important conversation for us to have in front of us um, all the time, particularly when we are looking at cases rising, in fact, surging in places like Wisconsin, North and South Dakota, which are obviously in our live listening areas here at the Faith Radio Network. So I want to encourage you today uh, to be prayerful, obviously to be mindful, to use uh, to use a mask, to wash your hands, to practice appropriate social distancing, all of those things. Um, still in play, still still the word of the day. Dr. Zach Jenkins will be here next. We're going to talk about uh, the spread of the virus. We're going to talk about antibodies, you know, on and on and on, all kinds of things. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Zach Jenkins, it's great to have you back again. 98.6. I wish that was our call sign because that'd be kind of fun. All right. With us uh, again this morning, Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. Welcome back, Zach. Good morning. You know that just makes you a great radio guest because especially for as a regular as a regular guest. So you should be pitching that to other people because you could always be welcome back, Zach. There you go. Just saying, you know, a little PR, a little PR for you there. Okay. Um. Let's lead off with a, an update on the spread of COVID-19. Um, I feel like, and it could just be one side of what sometimes feels like hysterical media. I, I realize the numbers are rising, but this is really no surprise if we all agreed at the outset of this that a huge percentage of our national population and the global population eventually would have to get this. So talk with us about the spread of COVID-19. Yeah, so I mean, it, it it's just like you said, we have talked about how we are going to see numbers increase. That's a natural thing that that's going to happen. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. I was just in my small group at church yesterday, and I had uh, one individual who now is under high suspicion for COVID, just received a test. Um, and it's something we're going to start to see. I, mean, I think it's become it's going to become more real for those who have maybe not seen this personally yet. Um, what you're really seeing play out in the media, I think, are two things. One, there's election coming up, which is a fair statement to make. The other thing that's happening is I think people are trying to throw the information out there. So this is almost made a concern to people. But as we all know, that can lead to a lot of confusion, fatigue, irritation, and those sorts of things. So let's um, let's just remind people that the overwhelming majority of people who contract the coronavirus, COVID-19, um, do not get so sick that they need to be hospitalized. And um, the percentage of people who die of COVID is actually very, very, very small. Yeah, so, so you're absolutely right. So this percentage of people that die is small. The percentage of hospitalizations is relatively small as well. Um, I think the hard, the hard thing to kind of grapple with this is that it affects people so differently. You know, the mm-hmm. individual I mentioned for my small group of church, for example, is not necessarily high risk, but they're really struggling breathing right now. Mm. Um, 
they're kind of like borderline hospital entry. So, so I think uh, that that's an issue. And we've talked a lot about other complications that we've seen from this, like, you know, small vessel clots and things of that nature. So it's, it's a different virus. It doesn't behave exactly like the flu or anything of that nature. So that's what makes it a little bit more challenging for us to deal with. And in Europe right now, they're actually seeing their own issues where they're having rising cases in some of these areas that were particularly slow to, to rise in the past. So it's it's not just here in the U.S. It's happening all across the world. Okay, now talk with us a little bit about um, antibodies. We've talked about antibodies before, but I'd like to know um, about what's going on with Lily's application for an emergency use of a single antibody treatment. And then I'd also like to know about the Regeneron antibody, quote unquote, cocktail. So monoclonal Which, antibodies are... let me just are... say that, you know, this is a Christian show, so we're not talking about cocktail cocktails. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so so uh, monoclonal antibodies are basically man-made antibodies. So what they do is they, they set up a situation where they can uh, basically create a structure and then test it in a lab to see if it's active against viral particles. And so that's essentially what they've done with Lily's antibody as well as Regeneron's antibody, which is named Regeneron after the company's name. Um, what, what's happened with both of these is they're trying to pursue an emergency use authorization. Lily actually just submitted a request for one through the FDA. And what that will allow people to do is to use them to treat COVID. Right now, you can only get it through compassionate use, which is a long process to get medications through. Uh, the president was actually able to receive Regeneron because they were able to sort of quickly expedite that that process, um, even though this drug hasn't necessarily been approved for use in treating, just just for research right now. So that's kind of where we're at with with Lilly. They're they're trying to seek that application out. Early data says maybe it's helpful, um, and then you know Regeneron. Obviously, the president took that and maybe had some success from that as well. Some of his other therapies. Uh, but the data there they release, and that also shows some promise as well. Okay, and then um, we got to take a very brief break. But when we come back, I'd like to talk about um, a vac- give us a vaccine update, and then also have a conversation about flu vaccines because it feels like this is all converging in terms of a timeline. So my conversation with Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University continues in just a moment. We'll be right back. Continue my conversation with Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. Um, Zach, let's talk about, uh, give us a quick vaccine update, and then let's also talk a little bit about the flu vaccine. Sure. So we actually still have a number of vaccinations that are in phase three trials. Probably the one that is closest to being done is the one by Pfizer. And then the one by Moderna is supposed to be right after that. Uh, What's recently happened, though, and this got a little bit of uh, press for, press from both sides of the aisle. Uh, the FDA ended up changing some of their requirements that they were looking for for safety data. So what they actually wanted was two months worth of safety data as opposed to the previous recommendation, which was only one month. And that's really an attempt to try to assuage the concerns of people regarding a vaccine. But the way that this has been kind of perceived is that this was – it's more of a, a political message simply because the this would actually push the vaccine, the first vaccine probably not being available until after the election. So that's that's at least the, the discussion that's kind of gone on uh, w- with the public. 
but but really what this means is we have more safety data to go off of with the vaccine and and that will helpfully assuage some people's fears okay um can we talk a little bit i um i i haven't gotten a flu vaccine let me just confess that um but I, you know, I don't know, like, right? I don't know. Every year I sort of go through this, like, should I get one? I have my hands raised in the air right now in my un, uh, point of unknowing. The kids got flu vaccines. Grandma got a flu vaccine. Do I need to get a flu vaccine? Not that yes. I can, can construe this as direct medical advice like I read. <laughs> this is this is a conversation between friends. So, so as far as flu vaccines go, I think uh, what you what you sort of underscore is I think how people typically feel about that, that you've got a group that that is pretty prone to getting that. You've got a group that doesn't want to get it. Um, And that group, you can even split in half that group that doesn't want to give it. Some of them are because they will say that it doesn't work. And then there's another group that says, well, I don't like vaccines. So that's kind of where people are at mentally with this in general. But the group, I would say that doesn't want to get it because it may not work. The challenge with the flu vaccine, and this is what's going to be different with it than with COVID, is the flu mutates quite a bit. COVID doesn't. So what that means is as we make a vaccine every year, it's a best guess which strains are going to be kind of circulating. And if they miss the strain, sometimes the vaccine won't work that well that year. Mm -hmm. You only hit like maybe a fifth of cases or something. If we're really lucky, it ends up being like 60 days. So we've had some flu years where you can see a pretty big impact with that. Um, Encouragingly, I think what we're seeing is because of COVID, a lot of people are actually really interested in getting the vaccine now. I know a lot of uh, pharmacies and primary care clinics have really seen a big upturn in in people coming in seeking those lately. Um, Because what you don't want is a situation, I think, where you might have COVID and then get the flu on top of that or vice versa. That'd be pretty detrimental to a person, even if both were mild. So that that's that's at least kind of i think where we're at with the flu vaccine um i i actually just had one this week i had uh, another one i was talking with my small group last night another person and they mentioned their daughter had it and their daughter had a reaction to it uh, not an allergic reaction but they had some symptoms from it that went away after about 24 to 48 hours so sometimes you'll see that with the vaccine okay so <clears throat> here's your surprise COVID headline of the day, um, but it has a related topic. So the related topic is, um, have you ever had a bird in your house? And if so, what did you do? Because I'm dealing with that right now in my studio. <laughs> uh, I have not had a bird in my house, and I <gasps> really not know what to do. <laughs> All right. Well, that's not particularly helpful. All right. So um, here's my, uh, here is my animal-related COVID headline. I will Let me just confess to you. I didn't know this was an issue, and now I'm intrigued. Thousands of mink, M-I-N-K, mink, are dead from COVID-19 outbreaks um, in Utah and Wisconsin. First of all, I didn't actually know uh, that, I mean, I knew there were obviously people making mink coats. I didn't really know that we had, like, so many hundreds of thousands of mink in our country. I just, I didn't, I that was not aware of that. Um, so that might raise whole other conversations. But nearly 10,000 mink have died in Utah on the fur farms. And apparently there's an outbreak now in Wisconsin. And apparently these fur farms in Michigan are also now concerned. So uh, transmission to animals is not something that we have talked about since like the first dog caught it. Um, and so uh, is this... Is this a big issue? Like, are animals getting COVID in big numbers? 
You know, I'll confess I haven't heard a lot other than speculation by some uh, veterinarians who have seen some animals coming in, and it just makes them go, hmm, could this be mm-hmm. COVID? But they don't really have a way of accurately identifying that at this point in time. Um, so so that's that, I think, is one of the challenges that we're running into. But, you know, it's, it's just like when we talked about COVID initially with, with it crossing into humans, this is something that came from maybe it was a pangolin or some other kind of animal. Or maybe it was from the lab. But the point is, it had to jump from an animal into a human. And there were a few steps I had to do to get there. Um, the question is, how many steps would it have to jump back from, from humans to get into certain animals? Because it's going to be different for every animal. Well, apparently, it it's made the link, leap to mink. And apparently, it the mink are transmitting it to one another pretty readily. Now, wow. uh, for everyone concerned uh, suddenly about the fur uh, availability. Apparently, this does not affect the use usefulness of the fur itself. I don't know if that's good news or bad news. I'm probably going to hear from a lot of people about this headline. Um, <laughs> Zach, what um, what what else should we know? Um, maybe let's have one quick school conversation. Are we far enough into the academic year to be able to say it was a good idea to send kids back to school? They're not super spreader uh, environments, or is the evidence going the other direction? Yeah, I think at this point in time, the data is kind of pointing to the fact that students seem to be fairly safe. Our young children seem to be very safe, not only because they're less likely to have a bad reaction to it. Um, the way that COVID seems to be spreading is with these super spreader events where you've got someone who infects a greater proportion of people, whereas the average person may only affect a small number of people. So it, it seems like it's clustering when it spreads. And we haven't really seen that from from children as much, even if they carry the virus, they just don't seem to be the primary source that it's spreading from. So that's an encouraging note. Um, and again, you know, they're, they're at a pretty low risk, all things considered. Now, now to answer the um, the question that everybody really, I think, is wants to ask, but is afraid to. Um, how long? How long? Like how long? I'm I'm I think we've reached the like weariness stage of all of this. And so can you give us some sense of um short of a vaccine, how long? And then let's say we have a vaccine within a couple of months. It's widely available within let's say six months. Um we're still talking about dealing with this for another year. Yeah. I, I think there's a there's a possibility that it's going to take a little while to roll things out. I know they were saying they could maybe have 30 million doses of a vaccine available um, if it was approved this fall, but it would take time to operationalize that as well as to, you know, increase production beyond that point. So, so that means it is going to be a process to get there um, as far as a vaccine goes. Um, And even if we're kind of encouraging herd immunity strategies, which is the other thing that I think people are pushing. um, And there's also, I think, uh, Focused protection, which is kind of a, it's similar to herd immunity, but it doesn't discount some of the public health measures we put in place. Um, if you're if you're kind of any of those those mindsets, I think the challenge is right now we don't know how far it's spread. You know, the one CDC report, and they're still doing an ongoing study, suggests that maybe only about 10% of the population's been hit, which would mean we're pretty far away if that's the case. So hopefully we have some more epidemiologic data that could really tell us how far the virus has spread in the general U.S. populace. Um, until then, I think I think we're looking at the long haul. Yeah, me too. 
Me too. I think we're looking at a long haul. All right, Zach, um, thank you as always for joining us. Uh, We look forward every week to our conversation with you. I just sort of aggregate all of the headlines over the course of a week and talk with Zach about them on Monday. Um, We need updates on COVID, but we also don't want to just be constantly dominated by it every day. So thank you for joining us. We really, uh, we, we genuinely appreciate it. All right. Absolutely. You have a good day. You too. We'll be right back. Hey, we talk about um, happiness and the right to pursue it uh, as an inalienable right. But then we as Christians often walk around as if it's somehow unholy to be happy. And so we're just going to address that question. Like, is it okay to hope for happiness? Is it okay to live as a happy person? Is it it okay to uh, be happy and know it and show it? The book that I'm going to be discussing is Hoping for Happiness. Barnabas Piper has been with us before. He is joining us again today. Uh, Suffice it to say that since Barnabas and I had occasion to talk last, um, he has uh, walked a journey in his own life of disappointment and then uh, re-engagement and happiness, a restoration of happiness. We're going to talk about the pursuit of happiness. We're going to talk about hoping for happiness, and we're going to talk about the holiness of happiness. All of that up next. know what goes on in your team's world? Do you know what they face every day? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. You and I see our kids before school, in between activities, maybe at the dinner table. But there's a lot of time that passes when they're out of our sight. And if mom and dad aren't vigilant about getting to know a teen's world, they'll miss a whole portion of life for that kid. The more you understand about what your teen faces, what he loves and hates about his world, and the circumstances in front of him, the more you'll have a compassionate heart toward him. Your understanding allows space for the relationship to grow. So mom and dad, here's a homework assignment for you. Get to know what's really going on. Looking to make positive changes in your family? Check out the helpful resources from Mark Gregston online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Joining me now, Barnabas Piper. You can find him at the Happy Rant podcast. He joins me today as the author of Hoping for Happiness, Turning Life's Most Elusive Feeling into Lasting Reality. Barnabas, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. It's a genuine joy um, to talk with you. For people who have met you, for people who have encountered you, um, to, to receive a book that you have written on happiness is maybe no surprise but it grows out of uh, a period of life in which, you know, I think it's safe to say it hasn't just all been um, daisies and rose petals. I think that's an accurate statement. Yeah, it, uh, it grew out of what is a really difficult stretch of life, which taught me a lot about the real foundations of, of realistic happiness rather than sort of the circumstantial happiness that comes and goes. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's dive in. How is it that we hang our happiness on weak hooks? I actually wrote in my notes that we hang our happiness on the wrong hooks altogether. <laughs> yeah, I think both are true. Um, just one of the some of the examples I give in the book are hanging eternal happiness, so that the kind of happiness we expect to last on just things that are temporal, things that are outside of our control. So expecting 
uh, every job to be a dream job, the thing that will fulfill us, you know, expecting our, our relationships, whether that's friends or children or a spouse to be the thing that completes us. Um, even, even in church, you know, we walk into a church and think this is going to be a perfect place. This is going to be better than the last church. So the, the list of complaints I had at the last place will be solved here. And you just, you find a different list. And so it's not necessarily that those are bad things. In fact, all the things I listed are gifts. They're good gifts from God, but they're gifts in a, in an appropriate context and with the right expectations of them. And so we're, we're putting too much weight on a hook that can't hold it when we look for the wrong kind of happiness or too much happiness from those things. So I um, I love Randy Alcorn. And so the fact that he has written the foreword uh, to this book is I, I pause to read it. I don't I don't always read the foreword to every book. Let me just go ahead and acknowledge that. But because Randy wrote it, I thought, hmm, I'm going to I'm going to pause. I'm going to take the time to read the foreword. He leads off with uh, not only a spoiler alert about how much he loves the book, but um, but he leads off with this. And I think that that he's lifting up something here that uh, is worthy of of our talking about in front of others right now. Um, Randy Alcorn says, Barnabas Piper hooked me when he said, quote, one of the main reasons I wrote this book is because I was tired of wrestling with guilt over having fun and enjoying myself. It seems strange that God would give so many wonderful gifts only for me to feel guilty for enjoying them. Yeah, it sounds like a uh... Randy and I grew up in similar contexts in that uh, when we came to know the Lord, we had this desire for happiness in the Lord. Like, I think that's a compulsion people have. It's it's something we we yearn for, but we look around and there's so much sort of dour uh, Christianity that that looks with suspicion on happiness. Mm -hmm. And so we, we felt guilt about just enjoying ourselves, you know, laughing loud and eating lots of food and, and really enjoying the company of good friends and just all these these wonderful things. And and so part of the reason I wrote the book was because it took me a long time to figure out how to really relish the the gifts that God has given us, these these tangible, earthy sort of things, but not at the expense of finding eternal hope in him. You know, it seems like people often pit those against one another where there's eternal joy that we look ahead to, but it's at the expense of, you know, eating bacon and laughing with friends and having a cookout and listening to music and these things that that give us real happiness now. But those are gifts from God, too. So we have to be able to hold those two things and recognize both of them for what they are and how they feed our, our true happiness. So I am talking with Barnabas Piper. We're talking about his brand new book, Hoping for Happiness. Um, and the Good Book Company has graciously given us some copies to give away today. So if you would like to enter the drawing for a copy, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. If you've ever asked, does God want me to be happy? Um, that is one of the questions addressed herein. If you have felt guilty over being a happy Christian, experiencing happiness, if you've like tried to hide your happiness from other people because you think you're not supposed to be happy as a Christian, if you think there's a conflict between happiness and holiness, this is a book for you. So the book is Hoping for Happiness. If you would like, again, to enter the drawing um, for the copies we have to give away, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Uh, let's jump in on one of those uh, on one of those questions. Um, does God want me to be happy? 
Uh, I believe he absolutely does. Um, I think we need to understand how he wants us to be happy, because the scripture also talks about in this life there will be trouble, and I address some of that in the book, so balancing happiness with the expectation of difficulty, especially for followers of Christ. That's a, that's a promise we have, this promise of there's going to be hardship, but there are so many places in scripture where God talks about finding joy in the wife of your youth, and eating and drinking and doing the work of your hands, that's from Ecclesiastes, with pleasure, for these are from the Lord. God has already approved these things. There are psalms that talk about, you know, putting on your oil and your finery, and there's a sense of, take care of yourself, be be in, full of enjoyment in this life. Um, and then there are commands to rejoice and commands for gladness. And those are not just some theological term of like, I have this this joy that's a theological thing, but it doesn't express itself in smiles and laughter and enjoyment. So throughout Scripture, you see a thread that God God really does want us to be happy. The very the Bible starts in chapters one and two with God created, and it was good. And even when even in Genesis three, when the fall happened, all the goodness didn't go away. It was tainted. It was broken. But there's goodness in the world as God created it, and as believers. We should take great pleasure in that, and that means happiness in the gifts that God has given us. All right. I want to talk with you about, um, and I don't even know if I can pronounce it correct, collect, cor- correctly, but it's the title to Chapter 6, and um, I'm going to try it. Evangela Guilt? I, you know, it's a made-up term, so you can, I guess you can do what you want with it. Uh, I say Evangela Guilt, but yeah. The, oh, the that's much of, better. Evangela yeah, Guilt. it just— Yes. Evangelical. Sort of like rhymes with evangelical, which was I'm kind super of the duper idea. familiar yeah. with the way you've described it, and now I have a word for it, so I'm really excited. Yeah, that's uh that that felt like one of my sort of light bulb moments in the book was just that idea that and I I came from a place of more feeling than it did observation even. Um that sense of when you when you have a good a good experience a joyful experience a happy experience you have to kind of downplay it as a christian for the fear of looking like you're enjoying it too much so you i noticed it when i got a new truck a couple years ago and i immediately started to feel like i needed to make excuses for it i got a great deal on it a friend hooked me up with this as opposed to just sort of being grateful and amazed that I got this this great car that I really enjoy, or we go on vacation and then we talk about, well, our, our parents paid for it. We didn't pay for it out of pocket because we wouldn't want to look like we were being lavish with our money. And just all of these kinds of things where there's a, there's a downplaying of enjoyment out of this odd Christian sense of of guilt, what I called evangelical guilt, about happiness and pleasure and just allowing ourselves to be full of enjoyment. So you say, in one sense, evangelical guilt, because uh, I'm learning to say the word, evangelical guilt, is actually a twisted offshoot of good theology, belief in man's sinfulness and our prosperity, uh, or, excuse me, propensity to idolize things and expect too much of them. Somehow this proper theological emphasis has been misapplied so as to diminish our enjoyment of cheeseburgers and movies and dancing and laughter and myriad other delights of life. Somehow our awareness of sin and fallenness has made us suspicious of fully enjoying anything. I think that is, particularly when we're raising our kids, Barnabas, like we want them to enjoy things. We want them to experience and savor. Uh, We want them to taste and see that the Lord is good. And then somehow when we become adults, we want to be really sure that nobody sees us enjoying anything. 
That is a, such a strange paradox. I think it has a lot to do with, I mean, as I wrote there, I think it has a lot to do with misapplying good theology. It's a good idea to be aware that we can turn any good thing into an idol. We can ruin any good thing by by making it a a, a whole, like the a, a life-giving thing. You know, cheeseburgers are not an eternal pleasure, but they are a good thing. So is music, so is dancing, all these things. So we can turn those into idols, but suspicion of that is not a reason not to enjoy those things. It just needs to constantly remind us where they fall in life. These are gifts from God, so we should be grateful for them. Gratitude allows us to enjoy them rather than idolizing them. When we idolize them, that's like we should be suspicious of, of idolatry. We should not be suspicious of enjoyment. All right, Barnabas Piper and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. The book is Hoping for Happiness, Turning Life's Most Elusive Feeling into Lasting Reality. The Good Book Company has supplied giveaway copies. So text the word book to 877-933-2484. Barnabas, when we come back, one of the questions I'm going to pitch to you, um, it's Pastor Appreciation Month. So uh, so I'm teeing you up to to answer that question when we come back. We'll be right back. It is Pastor Appreciation Month, and you can tell us what you appreciate about your pastor at MyFaithRadio.com. And uh, if they are one of the, I don't know, I think it's like a random selection thing. So we got a ton of people who are logging onto the website and telling us what they appreciate about their pastor. And uh, and then we're sending, I don't know, some swag out to those pastors. So um, participate in that at MyFaithRadio.com. Hey, Barnabas. Pastor Appreciation Month, you have, um, you've dedicated the book to an entire church. And so I would love for you to sort of talk as a pastor's kid and obviously a person who's involved in a local congregation, just about the kinds of appreciation that is maybe most effective in terms of loving up our pastors. Yeah, thank you for asking that. It's uh, it's an honor to be able to, to tee up our pastors for, for honor and gratitude. Um, so I, yeah, I grew up as a pastor's kid. I'm on staff at a church now, the the church that I, Emmanuel Church Nashville, that I dedicated the book to. And um, I think the kinds of honor for pastors um, that mean the most are specific words of gratitude. So when you preached on this, it spoke this to me. I saw this about Christ. It helped my life, my marriage, my my depression, my whatever the struggle is, it spoke to me. So showing them that the the work that they're doing week in and week out, because pastors are dedicated to their congregations. There's they carry burdens, they are they they lock away so much difficulty of the congregation in them so that it doesn't spread. They just they carry that. So letting them know that that is making a difference for the kingdom of Christ is a real significant thing. And I think another thing would be making the means available for them to enjoy time with their family. So date night with their spouse, uh, going out with their kids. I realized during COVID going out means something different than it maybe used to. But those kinds of things, whether that's gift cards with the word of encouragement, or if you know them well enough, an offer of babysitting, just those things that allow them the margin in life to, to breathe, to enjoy, to invest in their family, because a healthy pastor's family 
really sets up a church well, because then he can walk into the church week in and week out with confidence, with energy, with encouragement and support, both on the home front and from the congregation. And the third thing is just letting him know that you are regularly praying for him. The prayers for a pastor are so significant. Um, I think it was Alistair Begg said that something to the effect of uh, every sermon I preach could be 10 times more effective if people prayed for me as they ought. So basically, if the congregation lifts up the pastor, it opens the heart of the congregation to the work of the ministry. And that's a really significant thing, along with lifting the pastor in encouragement and hope and strength and energy. All right, I'm talking with Barnabas Piper. We're talking specifically about his book, Hoping for Happiness. Um, But Barnabas, I'd love to ask a quick question also about your podcast. Um, First of all, what is the Happy Rant podcast and who is Ronnie J. Martin? (laughs) <laughs> the Happy Rant Podcast is a podcast I, I helped start about six or seven years ago now, and it's basically a not very serious look at kind of all things culture and church from a Christian perspective. So I co-host it with Ted Cluck and Ronnie Martin, and we just sort of take a tongue-in-cheek look at a lot of things that people get very upset about because we don't think it's <laughs> worth getting upset about everything. Um, and so we, we occasionally are funny. We're occasionally thoughtful. I hope it's worth listening to. Some people seem to think so. Um, All right. I'm, Ronnie, re- I'm retweeting. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I interrupted oh, you. Go ahead. I was gonna, uh, Ronnie is um, the former front man for a group called Joy Electric. He's currently a pastor in Ohio. Good friend. And so he's been on the podcast for maybe four of those six years and uh, really brilliant co-host and good friend of mine as well. I love that. All right. You guys, if you follow me on Twitter at Carmen LaBerge, I just retweeted Barnabas's tweet about the Happy Rant podcast, and they're giving away copies uh, as well. So there you go. All kinds of opportunities to get the book, hoping for happiness. Um, let's let's go back to the book for a minute. Um, the postscript for this book, my uh, my audience knows that I love what's in the back of a book because I feel like it's the place where the author gets to put stuff that the editor didn't think belonged in the book itself. Um. <laughs> And so sometimes there's like some real, like there's great stuff. There's afterthoughts. And sometimes there is what you um, apparently don't like, which is quote unquote simplistic application. That's not what we get back here. I love this resource that you've provided. There are these four questions. So four final questions in the postscript. I love that what you're putting back here are these hard, meaty uh, questions that we can return to over and over again, because I think that asking ourselves these questions is, is what I'm is what I'm dealing with, you know, joy or happiness? You know, is it the pursuit of one or the other? Is happiness sin? How about unhappiness in the midst of suffering? Are my expectations right, realistic, and godly? Um, I put a star and a dog ear on that page. How do I enjoy life without guilt? How do I keep enjoyment from becoming idolatry? These are substantive. What's, um, what's up with the final four questions? Because it feels like they could be a book in and of themselves. In some sense, is there a summary of the book? Um, so, you know, you read through whatever, 140, 150 pages, and sometimes the the nuts and bolts application is a little bit hard to draw out. I, I, I'm not an application guy. I also don't like books that end with sort of a whimper. You know, you get to the last third of the book and you're like, <laughs> we already read this. And so I wanted to end with something that that wrapped it up and summed it up, and that is something that you can go back to. And the nice thing about a book is you can reopen it whenever you want. So if you forgot something or you need to refresh your mind or digging for encouragement, and I, if I figured if I could condense it into one short chapter or appendix afterward, 
then then it would be a resource that people could go back to because those really are kind of the the gut level questions that I wanted to answer in the book because I think those are the happiness questions people struggle with. Are my expectations right? Should I be happy? I'm not happy now because life is very difficult. Am I sinning? Am I sinning by not being happy? Those are those are things that have nagged at me, and so I wanted to hopefully encourage other people with something they could go back to repeatedly. Well, thank you for um, coming back and joining us again, um, celebrating with you in your in your life and in your ministry, celebrating certainly this book with you, hoping for happiness. Uh, Barnabas Piper has been my conversation partner. Uh, the book is available now. You can, uh, you can well, see if we've got enough copies for you by texting the word book to 877-933-2484. Barnabas, um, thank you so much for helping us, I think, reconnect happiness uh, to holiness and helping us recognize that we can be happy as people who are uh, pursuing Christ and in whom Christ is pleased to dwell. Well, thank you for having me on. It has been an honor, and I hope it's been an encouragement. Yeah, it's always a joy. Thanks so much. All right, friends, we've got to take one more brief break, and then we'll be right back. So let me encourage you today to let your heart song sing. And if your heart song is Be Happy and You Know It, then clap your hands along with your heart song. Uh, so last night we had a little birthday party for my husband. It was uh, it was an opportunity for, you know, all the kids and some of the grandkids to get together and um, we, you know, shared a really simple meal and um, and gifts and and I gave Jim a globe. He's been it's interesting the things that like people want at different ages and stages of their life. And so um, I had seen him admire a globe and go and pick it up at somebody else's uh, house and just kind of muse over it. And uh, on the way home, we had talked about you know using it as an opportunity to pray for specific people in specific places and pray the headlines of the day by actually finding those places on the globe, da, da, da. Well, anyway, so I got him a globe for his birthday. He was very touched. And so as he's holding it, he just spontaneously starts to sing one of his heart songs, which is uh, that God's got the whole world in his hands. Well, we have a granddaughter, Emma, who is autistic, and she was, you know, not in the same room with us, um, but she came around the corner, and she's not looking at us because that's not her thing, right? Eye contact is not her thing, but she's singing along. And so God has got the whole world in his hands. He's got Emma in his hands. He's got Jim in his hands. He's got Barnabas in his hands. He's got Paul in his hands. He's got Jessica in his hands. He's got Carmen in his hands. He's got you in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Let's be praying the headlines today, and let's be honoring God in the midst of it. Let your heart song. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.